Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about how to help siblings of kids with anxiety or OCD. And often, we don't spend enough time talking about the siblings because our other children or child you know, is on fire and we are so busy trying to help them with their anxiety or OCD and trying to get them to therapy or trying to do these approaches that we don't have the time or energy perhaps to focus on the siblings or we don't even know what that would look like. And so today I am here to give you some suggestions, giving you kind of a framework of how you can help the siblings, things to look for, things to watch out for, and some tools to use. So I hope that you find this helpful. Before we get started, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They are available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. To schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child, go to treatmyocd.com. That is treatmyocd.com. And I'm seeing so many people in the AT Parenting community and in my public Facebook group starting to use NoCD and getting some really good results. And so they are doing such a great service to those of us that have kids with OCD. So thank you for that. Okay, let's talk about the siblings because often they're a missing piece of the puzzle. And I often say that anxiety and OCD is a family affair. It impacts every single human being, including the pets, into its world in one way or another. And so we don't want to ignore those other people. We can ignore the pets per se, (laughs) although sometimes we can't. Sometimes they're part of a compulsion. You know, they get involved too, but we definitely have to have a plan on how we're going to help the siblings. It's their childhood too, and you're their parents too, and this is impacting them too. So what do we do? And I'm going to try to talk to you about ways that are simple so that I don't overflow your plate and make you feel like, oh my gosh, now there's one other thing I have to worry about or one one other thing I have to feel guilty about. No, that's never my intention. (laughs) My hope is that it actually saves you time in the long run. A lot of this proactive planning and preparing and talking helps in the long run because it makes your home a more smooth, well-oiled machine. When everybody's on the same page and everybody's got the language, and you'll see what I'm talking about as I move forward and talk to you about kind of I speak a lot about creating a therapeutic home environment. It's the big message that I talk about in my free series on survival tools, which I am going to be doing next in May. So if you're not on my email list, get on it because that's a great series. People love that series. And I talk about creating a therapeutic home environment. I do two free series a year. So my one is on self-care, which we just finished kind of all about your mindset and perceptions. And the other one is all about tools and skills to teach your kids. And it's about creating a very cohesive therapeutic home environment, which if we're raising a child with anxiety or OCD, we need to do. So I will leave a link in the show notes to get on my newsletter if you're not on my newsletter. So you can hear about that when it comes out. Otherwise you'll probably miss it. But this is one component that I'm gonna talk about today, which is the sibling component. They're key 
And you may not think so, but they are key in this as well. And I'll tell you why as we go along. Anxiety and OCD doesn't mind involving them. It doesn't mind using them for accommodations. It doesn't mind using them as an outlet to get out their frustrations. It doesn't mind calling them the trigger. There's a lot of things that will hook in the sibling. And so it's important that we talk about them. So the first step, and I'll break it down for you just with some ideas. The first step, which I always say, so this isn't going to be like a shocker, is education. You do want to educate the siblings on anxiety or OCD as much as you're going to educate, hopefully, your child with anxiety or OCD. Everybody in the family ideally should know how anxiety or OCD works. And I mean in depth. And so like I would want my child to know that OCD causes an intrusive thought, feeling, or image to get stuck in that child's brain and they need to do or avoid things to get some brief relief. But the more they do or avoid those things, the bigger it grows. And that is called a compulsion when they have to do or avoid something to get the relief from the intrusive thought or feeling that they're having. And it's different than an intrusive thought or feeling that I'm having because I can let those go, right? I might have a weird thought and I let it go. I might have a weird feeling. I can let it go. When you have OCD, it gets stuck and it gets demanding and it wants you to do this thing and it wants you to avoid this thing. And you put it in the language of whatever makes sense for what your child is going through. It's hard for me to like talk about how you would talk to your child in a generic way, because if I was talking to my child about my other child, I'd be a little bit more specific. And so education is key. How many of our kids with OCD don't even know that? You know, there were a couple of years there where I talked to my kids and I'd be like, what is OCD? And they really couldn't describe it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're my kids. How can you not know this? <laughs> I live, eat, and breathe this. So even if you've had this conversation before with your kids, you might you have to have it throughout their lives at different developmental stages. But you don't want to necessarily educate the siblings in front of the child with anxiety or OCD because you want all your attention on that child. And so you could do it together, like all the siblings together. Although the child with anxiety or OCD, if they get wind of it or if it's secretive, can make them feel embarrassed or ganged up on. Not that that would be your, you know, your goal, but it might feel weird to say like, you know, here, I'm going to take all these other kids and depending on how many kids you have, and we're going to talk about you, that might be a bit odd, but I think it's best to pull kids aside one-on-one and you can do this. And it doesn't mean that you make it secret. Every family is different. So I'm going to try to speak in generics, but tweak this for what works for your family. But I might say to my child with anxiety or OCD, we all want to help you and we see how brave you're being and we know this is tough for you and we we are your family. And so everybody in the family wants to help you and needs to know at least the main things about what's going on. And they need to know about anxiety or OCD because it's genetic and they need to know what to look out for for themselves as well. And so it's a family affair. And I'm going to talk to each one individually about what is anxiety or OCD in general. I want to educate them, one, for them to look out for signs and symptoms that they might have, but two, to understand you better and to realize your struggles and your bravery and the things that you're going through, maybe how we're approaching you. I want them to understand that. Is there anything you would want me to share with them in particular? Now, That's collaborative, right? Now, if they say, I don't want you to tell them anything at all, I highly discourage secrets in the immediate family. Unless there's abuse, 
or like a really good solid reason not to share a child's anxiety or OCD with a, a partner or the other children, I think it's it can be a slippery slope and a dangerous message inadvertently to keep it a secret. It validates the shame, even though that's not the intention. And it also, it's like putting one arm behind your back in a fight. It's like, well, now half the family or most of the family doesn't know what's going on. And you're living under this like stress of trying to help your child while not sharing that information with everyone else. And it's not healthy. Secrets and families in general are not healthy. And we don't want to, we don't want to foster an environment of secrets. So I understand why some kids may not want you to share it with their dad or with their brothers or sisters, or maybe they're worried their brother or sister will use that as ammunition against them. Or maybe their dad or their mom doesn't fully understand them and they don't want, you know, or it's embarrassing, or maybe they have intrusive thoughts that are, the themes are embarrassing, or they are about particular family members. And so they don't want people to know. You can say, I don't have to go into detail about your intrusive thought or feeling, but they do need to know the general scope of what anxiety or OCD is and some of the ways that we're trying to help you. And that's healthy. Now, when it goes outside of the immediate family, I think it's a much more collaborative approach. It's a much more uh, sensitive approach. You know, if they don't want grandma and grandpa to know and grandma and grandpa see them twice a year, then maybe they don't need to know for right now. Or if they don't want their friends to know or the friends of the family to know or aunts and uncles, that's a judgment call as far as how often and how involved those family members are involved with your child. But the immediate family, and I'm not normally a black and white kind of person. Normally I'm like, whatever works for your family. But I have, I'm pretty strong on this one. that It is not healthy to be in cahoots because you're really being in cahoots with anxiety and OCD. So you don't have to go into detail necessarily. So the first step would be education. And then in a perfect world, you would say to your child, is there anything you want me to share about your struggles or, or about something that you would want them to know about your anxiety or OCD? And that way they have a voice in it. And maybe they'll say, I want to be part of that conversation. Okay, then you bring them along. Or maybe they say, I want you to say this, this, and this. You're empowering that child to have a voice, to not be ashamed, to communicate. Because communication and, and having pride in who you are including what you struggle with, starts with your immediate family, right? So I do recommend though, pulling that child alone, whether you go and take them out for hot chocolate or you go walk around the park, you know, take them outside of the house ideally so that you can have a truly private conversation. And even if your child with anxiety or OCD is part of the conversation in the beginning, you still want to touch base and process things alone so that that child has an opportunity to say things without having to filter. And you can say things without having to filter and worry about how the child with anxiety or OCD is interpreting it. So there are many ways to do this besides the one-on-one. So I definitely think a one-on-one conversation is really important, but then it's not one and done. It's a dialogue. It's a continual conversation. And so all the books that you're having your child read for anxiety or OCD can be read by the siblings as well. And so that can be very helpful. Watching videos, my YouTube videos, they're really good for kids with anxiety or OCD, but they can also be really helpful in explaining anxiety or OCD to the siblings. And so even though I'm talking directly to a child with anxiety or OCD, it's something good to show them. And so you can check out my YouTube channel, just go to YouTube and write in my name, Natasha Daniels, and it will, my channel will pop up and I have video lists. Like I have a playlist for kids with OCD, I have a playlist for kids with anxiety, I have a playlist for parents. You'll see all that if you go to a desktop version. You should see it on the phone as well. 
The other thing I highly recommend, and I always recommend, is watching Unstuck, an OCD kids movie, if your child has OCD. That is a great family thing to do. And you can do it as a family together, or you can watch it with the siblings alone or have them watch it and then then have your one-on-one conversation with them. And so I think that can be really helpful. Um, I do recommend having a one-on-one conversation with each child, even if your other kids have anxiety or OCD as well. So like for my kids, we did this a while ago, but we've kind of been in like a weird blur in the past two years with life, with COVID and then with my husband dying. So things have not been normal over here, but I think it was probably about two or three years ago. I took each child out and maybe my 18 year old, I didn't take out. I might've just, we just have conversations periodically, but with my other two, it was pretty formal. I remember taking them out to eat and talking to them about each other's themes and saying, you know, your OCD is very different than your brother's. You know, you worry about, you know, throwing up and you worry about having an accident or you worry about pee stuff. And he doesn't worry about any of that. In fact, he would think that that's silly. He wouldn't get it. It wouldn't make sense. He worries about songs getting stuck in his head and he worries about his food being gross or disgusting or that he will choke on it or that it's watching him from heaven. And so you might think that those things are weird and and bizarre or you don't get them, but he wouldn't get your stuff either. But that's how OCD is. It's like, you know, it's 31 flavors. Everybody's got a different flavor of ice cream, but it's still ice cream in the end. It's an intrusive thought or feeling, and you both need to do or avoid things to get some brief relief. But when you guys do those things, you grow them bigger. And I even highlight the compulsions for him are these things, right? He might tell you to shut up, be quiet, don't sing, don't play music. He might spit his food out. He might be really picky. He might be really hungry and try to eat something and then he can't eat at all, right? And he may not understand your compulsions, which might be, you know, going to the bathroom multiple times an hour or asking if you feel okay. Or, you know, asking everybody in the house if they've already peed before we leave the house. You might not get those things. Those are your compulsions. So what I'm doing in that example is I'm actually educating the child with anxiety or OCD. Like I'm teaching them their compulsions and I'm also relating their siblings' compulsions. Now, if you have a child who's very private and doesn't want you to share that, you, you want to encourage them to be able to share those things because it does help. So when my 12-year-old is screaming at everybody to shut up because we're singing, we don't see it as just obnoxious behavior. <laughs> it is obnoxious and it's rude. And we say, I say things like, you know, tell Squishy that he doesn't get to control our mouse, but I don't see it coming from him and either does his sister. You know, she might be hurt when she's singing and she has been hurt and say, oh, you know, he doesn't like my singing. And I'll say, he doesn't mind your singing, but Squishy has a problem with your singing. It's an OCD problem. And so we're trying to also protect their self-esteem because a lot of times anxiety or OCD will target them and target us. And they may not fully understand that. So we have to have those kind of conversations. So one-on-ones, books, what to do when your brain gets stuck and outsmarting worry and practice, practice being brave. Like those are all good OCD ones. What to do when you worry too much for anxiety don't feed the worry bug for like little kids is a great one for anxiety. I mean, there's so many books out there for little kids. So reading those books can be helpful. Even like novels like Guts, I forgot what her name is. She wrote Sisters, you know, the author. Anyway, I'm not going to look it up because I'm being too lazy, but like, that's a great book for emetophobia, the fear of throwing up. And so even novels 
or OCD Daniel. Like there's, there are novels that also highlight anxiety or OCD. And those can be great learning tools for our kids too, to really get into the mind and into the head of someone with anxiety or OCD through a character that can be helpful. Turtles all the way down for like teenagers, like those kind of books can actually be really helpful. So the education is a huge piece. That's why I've talked about it for close to 17 minutes. Because <laughs> that's a big one. Let's move on though. All right, then you want to talk about their role. What is their role and what is not their role? And so kids do different things. So you have kids who become parental and they wind up over accommodating. This is another reason why it's really important to keep them in the loop because they could be the missing piece of the progress puzzle. Why isn't my child making progress? We're all doing the space program or we're all pulling back our accommodations or she's not doing any of her compulsions and she's doing all of her exposures or she's facing her fears, but there's a missing piece of the puzzle because she's just not getting better. And everybody's missing that the eight-year-old brother is doing all the accommodations for the whole family, secretly checking things, cleaning things, whatever it may be for that particular kid, the sibling is doing it. And so we want to talk about what their role is and what their role is not. And that's why you might have a frank conversation and say, we're all working on pulling back this type of behavior. This is what we're trying not to do. So like, I'll give you an example to make this all concrete with my daughter who is 10. I said, we are not accommodating, not singing anymore. And so you can sing. There was a period of time where we would accommodate it a little bit because his mood was so off, depending on what we were doing. Right. So if we were like in the car, getting ready to go to school. Like it's a tenuous time anyway. And we weren't going to rock the boat, but as he got better, it was like, no, we're not going to be controlled by the OCD. And so I told her privately, you are allowed to sing. You have a beautiful voice. You are allowed to sing from now on. If OCD doesn't like it, he can get uh, headphones and he gets to control what he does, but he doesn't get to control us. And so allowing her to know that if he says, and this has happened, be quiet or stop singing. She will come to me. She won't reply to him. She'll come to me and she'll say, mom, he's telling me I have to be quiet. And then I go and I say, Hey, OCD doesn't get to tell us when we get to sing or not tell squishy to put headphones on. If you want to feed squishy and put headphones on, that's your choice. If you want to fight squishy and not put headphones on, that's your choice too. And so giving him the power to control himself, but not other people. So that's one. The other one is like, it's not your responsibility. So it's not your responsibility to make them happy, or it's not your responsibility to make them less anxious. It's not your responsibility to go check things for them. You you get to be a kid as well. But on the other end of the spectrum, sometimes they are more of a trigger. And so, you know, your role is to not poke the bear. And this is what I've had a, a lot of conversations with my 18 year old about this. Your role is just to not poke the bear. The bear is already out of control and I'm trying to tame the bear. And when the bear is like growling and it's up on two legs, I don't need you to come over and then poke the bear so that it attacks me and everybody else around me. That's how we talk about it in my house. So your role is just to not go around poking the bear or my another, my favorite other analogy at my house is please don't go around with your gasoline tank and pour it on the fire that I'm trying to put out. That's not helpful. My husband used to have a saying and he stole all of his sayings. I'm sure this is a famous saying from somewhere else because everything he said was a movie quote or just a famous saying that I never heard of. But he'd say, if you're not, if you're not going to row, at least don't row against me, you know, or that he probably said it more eloquently. I don't know, but whatever. It's like the same concept. It's like, don't make it harder for me. 
So these are very different conversations that you would have depending on the relationship your child has with the child with anxiety or OCD. So they might be over-parentified, they might have over-responsibility, they might be an accommodator, but they might be a trigger or they might be the trigger. And so if your child has emotional contamination or has you know issues with germs, or I mean, actually it could be like pretty much anything, but the child is a trigger for the other child, then you might say, you know, OCD gets triggered by by you because just like I talked to my daughter, it's not your singing. It's just OCD. He's afraid it's going to get stuck in his head. So he doesn't want to hear it. If your child is contaminated to your other child, then you might want to say, you know, your job is to just go around being normal. We don't want you to hug, initiate a hug or something because that's very triggering for them and we're not there yet. But if your brother yells at you and says, don't touch the kitchen counter or don't touch the door or don't touch any of the the community areas, your job is just to go about your business. And if he's bothering you, then just to come and tell us because we don't want you accommodating the OCD. You get to be you, go do your thing. And maybe the role at, at that point is please just don't go in his room or to touch his stuff. His stuff is his stuff. We're working towards that, but we're not there yet. So it's very important to let the kids know what their role is. Because you're going to be working on different things at different times and they need to know their part. What do I do? You know, my brother's yelling at me for sitting on the couch and he's telling me to get up. And should I get up or should I not? What, what is the family approach to that? So keep them in the loop. That's important. The next one is a code word. And so I use a lot of code words for different things. But let's say your child with anxiety or OCD is escalating. And you want to clear the room. You want to focus fully on your child with anxiety or OCD. It is good if you are able to, and you're not going to be able to do this all of the time. And I've mentioned this before. I don't know if it was in one of my live classes at the AT Parenting Community or if I've mentioned it on my podcast, but I used to work in a treatment center and the boys there were like very aggressive. I'm sure I've told this story before. In the group home, I came up with like a code word and I'd say, you know, we're going to, there were, I think there were like eight eight boys in the group home and they were all really, they could be really, really violent and aggressive. That's why they were in this like locked treatment center. And I'd say, if we say the code word, everybody needs to go to their room. The one that's having a problem isn't going to go to their room because they're not going to move because they're having behavioral issues in that moment. And so it can help, not that it has to be that extreme. It can help to have a code word. It doesn't have to be a code word. It could be something like, how about you go to your room? <laughs> At my house, we don't have a code word. What we do have though is an agreement that if I say, "Hey, you know, Miss 10, can you grab your iPad and go in my room and shut the door? I'm working I'm, you know, I'm dealing with this right now." She will not give me pushback. She won't say, "But but that's not fair. Why do I, I'm in the middle of She will see my tone, she will look at my eyes and she will know exactly why I'm saying that and she will go no questions asked. Because we have that agreement that when I'm dealing with a fire, metaphorically, we're going to clear the room. And that helps. It helps preserve the trauma for the other kids. It helps me focus solely on the child that needs all the focusing. It helps me get away some of the triggers because at my house, and maybe at yours too, if you have siblings, if your kids have siblings, when you're trying to deal with them, then they take all their rage and they target their brother or sister. So I want to clear the room. I don't want anyone else there. Obviously, you can't always do that. It's not always ideal or or you might not have a willing child. But if you make it, if you have a, a proactive 
plan in place where you have sat down with the other child and said, look, sometimes when your brother is having a hard time or your sister is having a hard time, I want to focus on her 110%. And I don't want you to get in the line of fire. I don't want you to get yelled at because her OCD or her anxiety is really angry. I don't want you to be in the mix at all. I don't want you to have to hear all that. And so I just want you to go in your room or like I always say to my daughter, go in my room because to her, that's kind of a treat. So it's not being sent to her room, her going in my room and laying on my big fluffy bed with her iPad. That's a treat. And I might actually add, put your headphones on. I haven't had to do that in a very long time. Things have gotten a hundred percent better over here. But in the past, I would say, put your headphones on. We really want to shield them from as much trauma as we can. And that's a very easy way to do it is to say, look, when I say go to your room or when I say to go, go to my room and pick something, you know, if you can pick your room, if that's closer and easier, they might see that as a perk instead of a, a, a punishment and, you know, put your headphones on, grab your headphones and maybe have a pair of headphones in your room. If this happens frequently, or maybe have an iPad in your room, have things available already and just say, put your headphones on and I'll come and get you when things are calmer. Right. I just don't want you to have to be involved in that. And they see you guys as kind of like aligned and that you're caring for them and that you're proactively having a plan. And so then when you do say, Hey, go get your headphones and go in my room, there's no problem. They will. If they're really little, that might be very hard. You might have to set them up and say, just stay in here for a little while or incentivize it. If you stay in here for a little while, you can earn blah, blah, blah. I'm dealing with your brother right now, but in a perfect world, and I keep saying in a perfect world, just because I get that the world is not perfect and life isn't perfect. So I mean, I'm not an idealist where I'm giving you these suggestions and I think like, oh, they're going to work a hundred percent of the time. I see where there are going to be times where it's not going to work. And that's why I'm saying, you know, when the moon and the stars and the sky, the sky, when the moon and the stars align, I think we can leave out the sky, (laughs) then it will work. And that's okay. You need to at least know what can be a good idea. Let's see. What else did I want to tell you about? So if you want to have a code word for that, you can, you know, if you want to just say like, you know, you can do like a physical gesture or you can have a code word. Sometimes code words can trigger our child with anxiety or OCD. They're kind of like, what is that? Or why are you talking about me? You know, you just have to figure it out for yourself. What works best for your family? For us, it's actually just better for me to say it out loud and just say, hey, can you go to your room? Normally, the child who is really angry or whatever I'm dealing with doesn't care and isn't even listening to to me giving direction to other people. And so it hasn't become an issue over here. Okay. The next one, all right, so just to review, we've got education, right? Doing one-on-one talks, books, videos, what their role is, a code word or a plan, when things get out of control, proactively. The next step is you want to process these situations. And so how often do we even think, and I'm including myself, to go back and process a really nasty situation or an overwhelming situation with the sibling? Not with the child who had it, because I think a lot of us do that, right? We go back and we say, well, that was rough for both of us, right? How can, how can we, you know, work on that next time? Or how can we communicate? We do all that. I mean, a lot of us do, right? And, or we know that we should. It's a good thing to do. Sometimes our kids don't want us to do it. Sometimes we have to wait a day. Sometimes our kids never want us to talk about it, but we know that that's something that could be very helpful. But how often do we actually think about maybe we should do that with a sibling? And we should. Even if the sibling wasn't involved, maybe you got them in the room or it didn't involve them, but, you know, they saw you, you know, coaxing your child out of the car to go to school and 
they were with you when the child was crying and, you know, kicked the principal. And then they finally got to school and they saw your child pleading with you, don't leave me, don't leave me. Right. And then you guys got back in the car and, you know, you were alone. How often do we process what the other child saw? That's a really good thing to process. And I'm going to tell you that from my own experience, you know, I was a middle child. Oh, here we go down Natasha's childhood again. (laughs) I was a middle child. So there was two older than me and one younger than me. And we had a lot of dysfunction in my house. And my dad had bipolar with psychosis, a lot of suicidal ideation. He'd go missing for periods of time. And he was in a lot of psych hospitals. And I spent a lot of my childhood being buzzed in and buzzed out of places to see my dad. And even one of my siblings had a lot of difficulty and my sibling and my father would get into it. And that would get really scary because at the time, like there wasn't stability with either one of them. It was very overwhelming. And not once did my mom pull me aside and talk to me about it at all. And there was a time where, you know, the back door got the the window got busted out and there was blood and it was like, it was very violent. And the neighbor even came over just to see what was, what was wrong and pretended that he had extra basketball tickets. You know, he was like, Oh, I just had these basketball tickets. I wanted to see if you guys wanted to go for free. And it was like nine 30 at night. It was very weird. He was obviously checking to see if maybe he should call the cops and it was never processed with me. And so a lot, and that's just an example. So a lot of what happened in our life wasn't processed because we weren't the ones on fire. Like I wasn't on fire and that impacted my adulthood. You know, it, it impacted so much about me, you know, that I'm not important or, you know, I'm not the big problem or I need to stay quiet. Right. And we don't want the sibling of the child with anxiety or CD to feel dismissed or that their feelings aren't important or that experiencing witnessing those things isn't important. It impacts them too. Not that you can do anything about it, but because that's just life, right? And we don't have to feel guilty or overwhelmed. Like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad that their childhood is being impacted. This is going to sound very cheesy, but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I really believe that. I think that resiliency does come from these things. And I think I am who I am and I am, I am able to help people because of the amount of stuff that I went through as a child. And I thought that was plenty. And then when my husband died a year ago, that has increased my resiliency and my need to have self-love and self-compassion and how to like preserve my sanity, you know, all sorts of things that I thought like I already got all my life lessons, but apparently the universe didn't think I did. And I think I am better for it in the sense that I feel like I'm even more resilient and I'm able to lean into my fears a lot more than I did a year ago because I've had to this whole year. So your kids are going to develop incredible resiliency and you're going to be better than my parents were. You're going to process these things and, and give them tools and something that I didn't get. And I still turned out, I think, pretty okay, considering all things considering. So the siblings are going to be, they're going to be great because they're learning. These are in- incredible, unwanted, but incredible life lessons of resiliency and they make amazing people. I wish that we didn't have to go through all these hard things, but they do make amazing, strong, resilient people. Both my husband and I both came from really difficult childhoods and he was the most resilient, strong person I have literally ever met. And his childhood, no one was there walking him through his childhood and helping him and supporting him. And uh, there were definitely 
struggles because of that, because no one was there processing things, but the childhood itself, you know, is made him really resilient. So I just felt like I had to say that in the middle of this whole podcast, because I don't want you to think that you have to worry about the siblings of your child with anxiety or OCD. I think all of this stuff is going to make them better people. It's not that I would wish this on my worst enemy, but I do feel like my kids, my kids are like, I was, my daughter was actually just getting her hair cut today because it's president's day. So she had the day off. So I said, she could dye her hair. She's 10. She's very excited because it's the first time. Said no, no funky colors yet, but she dyed it kind of like, just like mine. So it's like this really red, red hair, which is really funny. And the hairdresser was like, I can't believe she's 10. She's so sophisticated. And she's so like, I, she goes, I think, I feel like I'm talking to a 16 year old. And my daughter is like anyone who's met her, like those of you that are part of the AT parenting community and join the support group calls, your kids have seen her, but she's, or you've watched my podcast with her on it. She's like way mature beyond her age. And a lot of that is because of all the things that she's had to go through. You know, she's just had to grow up quickly, but it has a lot of positives. Like she gets things. She's more empathetic. She's like, you know, Hey, how's your day talking to the hair, the hairstylist and gets the reciprocity of social interaction and is very polite and all actually comes from all the the challenges that she's had to go through at this young age. And she's a better human being for it. I wouldn't wish it on her, but she is a better human, human being for it. So we don't get to pick our poison, but we can decide whether it's lemonade or poison. That was like, not even, it's like mixing analogies. Okay. So moving on from there, process the situation. That's my whole point on that one. The next one is, you know, consider involving the sibling in at least a few therapy sessions, if not a couple of sessions completely on their own. Now you can, if your child is in therapy, just ask the therapist, would you mind just meeting with the sibling? And I think it can be helpful to do a joint session, but I also think it's helpful for them to have their own space where they can ask a therapist their own questions and not worry about their brother or sister hearing it. And so your therapist may not think to do that. It just may not be on their radar, especially like these very pure ERP therapists. Like they are skill training. They're like, they're doing exposures and it's, it's very structured. They may not think, let me talk to the sibling about this. Some of them might, and that might be part of their approach, which is fantastic, but a lot of them won't. And so if you bring it up, I'm sure most of them would be agreeable. Sure. I can do a session with the sibling and just talk. Maybe you have to pay out of pocket because insurance won't cover it. I don't know, but it can be helpful if you have that available to you. I think that could be helpful. And also giving them their own space. If it's really rough at home, like if you have a child who's very aggressive, or if you have a child who's been going inpatient or intensive outpatient, or has been in like, you know, inpatient treatment, I do think that it can be very helpful for them to get their own therapist just to process all of the stress and struggles going on in the family dynamics. Um, That would have helped me with all of the craziness that was going on in my family. I never got individual therapy. In fact, the first time I ever got individual therapy was this year when my husband died. I was like, I think I actually need to see like a true therapist. And now I have, I have two therapists. (laughs) So, you know, they do different things. So getting help for them can be very helpful. Okay. The next one is you want to involve them in any behavior modification plans that you have. So if you have an incentive plan with your child with anxiety or OCD, which we highly recommend and and 
I suggest, and I think it's a very good component of doing challenges or exposures is having some sort of incentive. It can be very important. You don't want to leave the siblings out. And so if you're going to create a point system or bravery points or reinforcer or anything like that, I highly recommend doing it for all of your kids. I've never met a kid who doesn't have something that they can't work on. Find something that the other kids can be working on, whether that is, you know, doing chores or being responsible or, you know, it can be a million different things, but you're fostering independence or empowerment or self-esteem. So find something and that way everybody is earning stuff because even though I really, in my house, we have this like mantra, which is life isn't equal and life isn't fair (laughs) because it's really not. And my kids know that. And so when, because it's not, it's not equal or fair. I know sometimes people like to say, oh, I forgot the other saying, you know, that it's not equal, but it's like, it's fair, you know, it's different for each person, whatever each person needs. But really in reality, no, some people have huge mansions and other people are homeless. And some people go for school and have a huge education and they can't find a job. And other people, they never even go to college and they get a great job. And it's not equal. It's not fair. You know, you can have someone who wins the lottery who already has millions of dollars. You can have someone who's poor who doesn't win. It's not equal or fair. But you know, we're not victim to that. That's just reality. That's just how life is outside of the bubble that we want to create for our kids. And so there's no judgment on that. It's just life is not equal and it's not fair. It just is what it is. Some people get things, some people don't. So that's, that is how I parent at my house. So if like my child has a birthday party and she gets a huge birthday favor and my other two kids don't get it, I don't go out and buy them something to even it out. It's just you know, one day you'll go to a birthday party and you might get something and they won't. Or if someone has a, a celebration in their in their class and the other kids don't, I'm not going to go out and buy you something to make it even. Or if we're having a birthday party for you, I'm not going to tell people to bring a gift for the other kid, even though it's not because it's not his birthday, you know, like we're not going to anyway. So that's normally how I parent at my house because I don't want to give my kids the message that life is equal and fair when it really isn't. However, when it comes to day in and day out behavior modification plans, I would want my my parental approach to be similar with each kid, even if it's tweaked differently, like everyone has a different behavior modification plan. They're all working on different things. They all have an opportunity to go to the bravery store and earn points. And I'd want that to be across the board so there's not resentment for the child with anxiety or OCD. And I think it can be just helpful parenting. So that's my recommendation on that. And then I have two more things to just tell you. My next one is setting goals. Now this is, or setting intentions, whatever language you want to use. We have been traveling a lot. If you listen to me, my husband and I, we're going to like our whole goal, like everyone has, well, not everybody, but couples have goals, right? And my husband and I, our goal was to travel. As soon as the kids were out of the house, we were just going to travel the world. We were going to go on like, you know, 21 day cruises and we were going to have like houses in different areas and we were going to rent them out and then have places we could stay all over the world. Like we had big plans, you know, and then it, you can't have plans because plans will change and life will turn on you. <laughs> that sounds horrible and bitter, but so I have decided that we're just going to travel now. And so that's pretty much where I'm pouring all my money into and all of my energy is we're traveling. We're traveling a lot. We have a lot I mean, a crazy lot of travel plans for the next four months. 
And so we'll be traveling a lot. And luckily I have a job now because I don't have my private practice. I have a job now where I can, I can do my job literally anywhere in the world because my job is the AT Parenting Community, my online membership and my online courses and this podcast and my YouTube channel. And I can do it anywhere. So that's pretty cool. Total tangent. My apologies. So we travel a lot. And when we start our trips, we started to do this thing. We didn't do this actually when my husband was alive. We actually did points. We would do like a very pure behavior modification thing where they would be earning points towards money for their souvenir at the end of the trip. Now, I mean, like the dynamic shifted once he died. Now we set our intentions for the trip. So everybody picks a goal that they are going to work on for the trip. And I actually don't really do incentives because we just all work together now that we have kind of this common loss. You know, my kids know, like, okay, let's not push it. So typically, typically the goals will go around and I will say, I'm going to try to be more patient with Miss 18 because her and I normally butt heads the most on our trips. And Miss 18 and Miss 10 in the past would bicker the most. And so Miss 10 would say, I'm going to try to get along with Miss 18 and not, you know, say any snarky remarks or whatever. And Mr. 12 would always say, I'm going to try to control my anger and go with the flow more. So everybody picked their goals. And I like this because a lot of them were sibling related. And so then when something would come up, I'd say, hey, hey, what's what was your goal again? Oh, I'm going to try to get along with my sister. Okay. Well, you were doing a good job. Can we stay on your goal? I don't know why, but that has really worked. And now my 18-year-old and my 10-year-old are really close. And me and my 18-year-old have gotten much tighter too. And I think it's partly because we've been traveling so much and we've been like setting this intention, which sounds cheesy and it sounds like it wouldn't work at all, but it really has worked for us. So setting goals. Now we're doing it on trips, but you could do it each week. I mean, I think for us, because we don't do it on a weekly basis, it has a little bit more power because it's almost like we get into a little powwow before we're about to go on a trip and we say, okay, what are we all going to focus on? What's our main goal? But I could see this working on a weekly basis too. If you did it on a Sunday and you said, what's your goal for the week and make it sibling related, you know, I'm going to try to ignore him when he is upset. So I don't upset him more or what's your goal. Okay. Well, I'm going to try to say nicer things to blah, blah, blah. You want it to be authentic. You don't want it to be kind of scripted or that you're dictating what your kids have to do, but setting intentions and maybe, you know, find a word that works. Intentions might be a better word than goal because it, a goal kind of sounds like a therapy thing, but that's something to try. The last one that I have actually used in my therapy practice a couple of times, well, not a couple, a lot of times to foster some good feelings is um, we would have like a week of random acts of kindness. And so the siblings would have to do random acts of kindness for each other. And if you have a lot of kids, or if you wanted to do this on a family scale, it can be anonymous where everybody like picks a name. And so you don't know who is your your like random elf of kindness, you know? And so that kind of trains the brain to do something nice. And so I've had kids in my practice, they like, you know, secretly go make their brother's bed or they would secretly get their, their brother's water bottle ready for the next day. The sister would go and make them put a little note into their lunchbox or would get their shoes out. And it's really training their brain to find things to do that are nice and kind versus you know, just being annoyed and being a victim to their feelings and emotions. So it kind of gets them out of their head and a little bit more intentional. 
about what would be a nice thing to do for this other person. You can't do it all the time because all of these things kind of lose their pizzazz if you do them all the time. So if you were constantly doing random acts of kindness or whatever spin you want to do, it would lose its oomph after a while. So you have to keep these things fresh. Just like we had a win board for a while where everybody wrote their wins on a whiteboard. We talked about this in the self-care series, if you were part of that. And then after a while, you know, it kind of got, it, it became part of the wall. You know, it's like, it's a novelty for a while. And then it became kind of just part of what was on the door. And so you have to take some of these things away for a while and then put them back so that they're fresh and novel again. And so same thing with random acts of kindness or setting your goals or intentions. You just have to kind of keep them fresh. So those are some of my suggestions. I hope that was helpful. We talked about education, one-on-ones, books, videos, what their role is, a code or a plan, processing the situation afterwards, involve them in therapy on some level involve them in the behavior modification plan or, you know, bravery points, whatever you're doing, Uh, maybe set goals or intentions and be fun and do something like random acts of kindness. So I'm sure I didn't cover everything, but I hope that what I did covered was helpful. And I hope that you are enjoying my podcast. If you are, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcast to rate the show. That does really help. If you have a few extra minutes, I greatly appreciate it. If you stop and write a review, that actually really helps as well to show my appreciation. I always like to end the show reading one of them if I can find one. So I do want to thank Patty for leaving a review. She said, so helpful. Natasha is so informative and has helped me so much dealing with my daughter and her OCD. Thank you, Natasha. Well, thank you for taking the time to write a review. I really appreciate it. And maybe if you write a review, I'll be reading yours next time. So don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 